to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. Uh, I'm your host, John McGee, and I'm joined in the studio by none other than David Marvin, the director of The Porch here at Watermark. Let's Welcome go, man. <laughs> the most excited guest we've had in a long time. Come He's the uh, uh, director of the Young Adults uh, Ministry, The Porch. Uh, this little bitty Bible study that you have on Tuesday nights right. with some people in your living room. That's right. It's something like that, man. It, it is uh, so fun to get to be here. Truly honored and love what God is doing through this podcast. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, like you said, Lead the Porch, which is primarily 20s and 30s, Tuesday nights, Dallas, Texas, 15 satellite locations around the country in the United right. States. And uh, yeah, man, pumped to be here, That's bro. awesome. Well, and if you're interested, this is not about uh, the porch. This is about another topic. But if you are interested in bringing the porch to your church, you can reach out to us uh, at watermarkresources.com. We can find out about that. Yes. But um, uh, so many stories I want to tell before we get started here. Come I'm on. Not, I'm not really sure where to go. So um, many, our staff knows, most people don't know that you were uh, you were kind of a model uh, at one point. Oh, no, we went there. And, wow. Uh, and so we have got, we've got a great picture. We'll put, we'll put in the show notes. <laughs> oh, we, that, we're probably not going to do that, yeah, actually. Definitely <laughs> do not put that in the show notes. Um, and it's David, and he's wearing uh, white pants. And his hair looks amazing. You and take so, one white pants picture, it follows you for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, if, if people got nothing else out of this whole podcast, <laughs> they should write that They're part down right there. Right, write that down. Oh um, and so it's just so funny when David's addressing the staff or we'll be... You know, we'll be in a meeting. Someone will just flash that uh, picture up on on the um, on the screens, and we all laugh. And you're always such a great sport. Dude. And um, but they're, it's a, you know, secretly we're just jealous that we didn't oh have your hair. Gosh, so, so and we can't pull off white pants like you do. <laughs> um, so, not talking about fashion yes. uh, today. Uh, we're talking about something else. And so, you got a new book. A great book just came out. Uh, the title is "We're All Freaking Out." And why we don't need to finding freedom from your anxious thoughts. Um, actually, that's it. That's it. And um, you're really good at naming things. If I write a book, I want you. I want to make sure that you name my book. Well, that's, yeah, that is not the. Ca- well, I appreciate the compliment, but in this case, that is definitely not uh, uh, applicable to me because that title. I never would have come up with that title in a million years. Huh. I mean, it's like a, a. Um, in fact, all the titles that I was messing around with, I bet. So the story behind that title is Jenny Allen, who's a Watermark member and uh, author, uh, leads If Gathering, is just killing it. Amazing. New York Times, I think New York Times, best-selling author. Probably. Yeah. Multiple times, probably. Yeah. Bumped into her in the lobby one day, was telling her, hey, I've got a book. I don't know what to title it. Any thoughts? I need your help. She said, meet me in my office today at 2 p.m. We will name your book. So I show up like three minutes early expecting, you know, Jenny's a big deal. So I'm expecting I'm going to wait a little bit, and I ring the doorbell at their office, and somebody comes and gets me, takes me back to a room where her entire staff team is in this room sitting down, and it's all these like incredible women who are brilliant. And so it was like walking into a lioness den. She says, sit down. We will name your book. And within 10 minutes, she's flipping through the manuscript. She's asking questions. They're all asking questions. She sees a subtitle that says, we're all freaking out. And she laughs and says, that is your book title. I love it. You need to say it how people feel it. Yeah, and I, I had pitched like, you know, anxious no more or fighting anxiety or, um, you know, peace attack. And she was like, oh, 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 all those are terrible. That's not the title of your book. Say it like people feel it. That's that's honestly the direction I guess publishing is going today. Yeah. And uh, and so I never would have come up with that. But then I, I left and pitched it to the publisher, not knowing what are they going to think. And they came back and they were like, we love it. 
this is perfect. And so we're going to weave that throughout it. But it's really just a book on anxiety tailored for primarily young adults, but really it's taking God's word and breaking down principles from God's word as it relates to combating anxiety, which I think the church has not done a great job of talking about. Yeah. So keep, keep talking about that. What do you mean? Yeah, I think that if you ask the average Christian today, hey, what does God teach or what does the Bible say about anxiety, about being anxious, about worrying? You're likely to get an answer that is something like, it says stop. It says trust God more. Mm -hmm. It says pray. It says don't do it. In other words, don't be anxious. All of which is such an oversimplification and really not helpful. Like if you could just stop, you would. You know, anybody would. (laughs) We wouldn't be having this conversation. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's not just unhelpful. I think it's unbiblical. And to use one example of ways that the church has either been misinformed or they've mistaught or they assume the Bible is irrelevant, outdated, not helpful, is to take Philippians chapter 4 and uh, a famous verse related to prayer where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, supplication just meaning prayer, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, most people read that verse and they think Paul just said, don't worry, don't be anxious, just pray. And if you do, you'll have the peace of God. And if you think about it that way, Paul seems so out of touch, like, Paul, that may work for super Christians. That doesn't work for me. Like, I've prayed. I'm still anxious. Paul is not saying, never have an anxious thought, just pray. The word that he uses in the Greek is the Greek word now. The New Testament was written in Greek. And the word now is synonymous with meditation. In other words, when Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, he's saying, do not meditate on fearful or anxious thoughts. Rather, pray and talk to God about it. So what's not possible is never have an anxious thought for the rest of your life. I mean, that's going to happen. Paul's not saying don't ever have anxious thoughts. He's saying when those thoughts happen, you can choose not to meditate and focus and dwell on those anxious thoughts. Hmm. And when you understand it that way, I don't know anyone that would disagree. Anyone that would say, hey, my life got meaningfully better when I made the decision that anytime I had an anxious thought, I'm going to dwell on it, focus on it, add to it, fixate on it. I started waking up every morning and meditating on everything terrible that could possibly happen that day, and my life got better. Nobody would ever say that. And furthermore, when you understand that, when you're St. Paul saying, hey, don't meditate on those thoughts, pray and talk to God about them. And then it, it makes sense why he goes immediately where he goes next, which is finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, pure, worthy of praise, think about these things. So he says, don't meditate on those things, meditate on these things. And that's just one example, I think, of something that we don't talk enough about, And when we do teach those verses, we just tell people, hey, don't worry about it. Just pray about it. And while that is a part of the solution and part of what Paul's saying, it's not the fullness of what he's saying. So that would be one example I'd say. I love it. I love it. Okay. So uh, listening in, you know, uh, to this podcast, David, are a lot of leaders. Yeah. Uh, A lot of times you're talking to young adults. So you're talking to leaders here. So there's a few things I'd love for you to speak uh, to. One, help them understand, help me understand. Uh, what's going on culturally? I mean, anxiety just feels like that discussion is going on everywhere. It's in yeah. all the headlines. It's in, yeah. uh, you know, any feed of any type of social media. Um, so what what is going on kind of in this moment that it's so applicable? And then what do we, what do we need to understand about yeah. that as we try to help people? Yeah, you know, if you're listening and you don't struggle with anxiety, the reason this is important for you to know about is because the people around you do, the people yeah. in your, your congregation do, the people that are on your staff do, particularly among young adults. I mean, the, the levels of anxiety and anxiety disorders among young adults has approached over 40 percent. In fact, there was a, a study done a couple weeks ago that I wish uh, you know I had included in the book, but it's just so recent, that said 
a majority of young adults, 65% of young adults would say they are not in good mental health. And that's ages 20, basically to 30. Okay, one more time. Can you, can you repeat majority, that again? 65% or only 45% would say that they have good, good or great mental wow. health, anything wow. that is good. Wow. So the vast majority would say they don't. Anxiety disorders significantly higher. It's three times more likely that if you're between the ages of 18 to 34, you have a symptoms of an anxiety disorder or depression, depressive disorder, three times higher than the previous generation behind it. And I think there's a lot of factors that go into it that is some speculation, but you got to assume the world is transformed so much in the past handful of years. There was a study done in 2010 that concluded the world had changed in the past 30 years from 1980 to 2010. The world had transformed in those 30 years as much as it had the previous 300 combined. And you think about that, that was in 2010. The list of things that have transformed our world since then are astounding. I mean, that was before iPads, Alexa, Instagram, Uber Eats, Uber in general. Netflix was something you had to like get a DVD in the mail, if you remember that. Those are good days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how much our world has changed then. It's all that change can be stressful. And I think social media has contributed. We talk about comparison a lot on social media, but one of the things that comparison fuels is anxiety. And the reason being is I go on Instagram and in prior lives or in prior generations, for me to be envious or feel less secure about myself or feel insecure about myself based on what someone else had, I actually had to know them or they had to be famous and I had to see them like, you know, out in the newspaper or on a film or something. Today, there can be a Swedish billionaire in, you know, the coast off of some island I don't even know about showing his yacht and his life and his money and all that he has and can make you, and I'll never even meet that person. And I can feel like, oh my gosh, man, I, I am just a total failure in life. So I think all of that is contributing, uh, in addition to other reasons, to this increasing mental health problem. There was a study re I referenced in the book that concluded the average young person today has the same levels of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Wow. Which wow. is shocking. Wow. And, and that's a stat. I mean, you can look it up right now. That's not an uncommon, I mean, that's out there. That's not just from you know, anxiety.com plagiarized. That is something that people are going, the levels of just kind of normal life, this low-grade stress and anxiety yeah. are marking the generations that are being raised. Yeah, that's good. I really think that's really important for leaders to understand. Even if they, you know, don't go down the social media rabbit hole, you yeah. just sit there, scroll, 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 uh, compare like, you know, uh, the people in your congregation do, yes. the people that you're leading do in your small groups or even in your company, your employees, um, that's what they're doing. They're, when they're on uh, their lunch breaks, they're not reading your employee manuals or right. how to be a better uh, employee for you. They're looking at social media. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, literally during the middle of the day, they get caught up in <laughs> the Swedish billionaire, you know, yeah. or his Swedish billionaire wife uh, and and go, oh, man, I've got to go back and to the grind. And yes. I want that. My life is terrible. Yeah. And uh, I think you're right. I think it's, a, you know, Facebook knows that all social media internally, you know, yeah. now now we know that they know what they're doing. Yes. And uh, that's a big that is as much as the rapid change in society is is a factor has to be. I do think that's the kind of the X factor. That's the yeah. Y, and um, and you cut that stuff out. At, you know, you said no one no one uh, gets better by meditating and dwelling on that. Uh, no one cuts social media and says I got more anxious, I got more depressed. Yeah. You know, and so we know we know the answer to that. And uh, but it's good whether again, uh, sometimes I see leaders just go, well, that's stupid. You know, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. don't just stop it. That's dumb. And um, 
because I wouldn't do that. No one else should or will. Well, yeah. they, they just are. And so you yeah. get a chance to kind of lead through that. And so it's really, really good, David. So when you, when you, you know, when you communicate or when you lead or when you sit down with someone, know what you're sitting down across from. Yeah. And um, so uh, you're a leader, yeah. you know, uh, again, I, I joked about a small Bible study. If you, if you don't know, um, you know, Watermark uh, on Tuesday nights, it's really tough to get a parking place around here yeah. um, because yeah. uh, young adults are flocking to be a part of the porch. It's really you know, uh, I just don't, I wouldn't say this very often, but like kind of like a movement of God. It's just, it's just mm. phenomenal uh, to see. Um, so there's, you got a lot going on. So I, I know you wrote the book yeah. to the people that you're talking to, yeah. but, but what about you? And what would you say to a leader? Cause I know uh, a lot of leaders, if you kind of turn off the microphones and the cameras, yeah. they're pretty anxious as well. Yeah. They, they wake up uh, with a low, at least a low level of anxiety, sometimes really heightened. Sometimes it just jumps on them out of nowhere. Yeah. So how do we lead ourselves um, before we even talk about how to lead others? How, yeah. do you, how do you lead yourself? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the ways that I am confident people listening, if you lead anything, you can be tempted to be anxious or experience anxiety related to ministry based on an artificial standard of success. And now I can, and by that, I just mean like, hey, if the attendance grows or the attendance shrinks, that can, I can be tempted to find my worth, my value, my identity, my, my um, am I a success or not based on that, which is just a lie. So that's one way that our ministries can fuel our anxiety. The, um, the comparison game doesn't just apply when it comes to um, you know, young adults scrolling through whatever social media, you can compare through numbers, you can compare through this church down the road, you can compare through, they have this technology, and you can feel insufficient, insecure, all of those things, which are all connected to anxiety. I remember in my own, just the past handful of months, I was seeing a counselor, my wife is a counselor, and side note, this this whole book is not a uh, anti-counseling or anti-anything, it's just meant to be a first line of defense. Yeah. But... I was seeing somebody in addition to my community group and small group, and um, and I was sharing with him about, hey, I have this feeling at times that creates a sense of stress and urgency as though if my ministry, it was, oh, it was in COVID. And, you know, none of us knew what, what right. things were going to look like. Like the porch, like you said, it is a gathering of a few thousand, but halfway through the pandemic, you don't know if large group gatherings are a thing of the past, if people are going to come back. Like yep. nobody knew what was in yep. front of us. Yep. And I had anxiety and an angst and a high level of stress over what if that happens? And I remember talking with this counselor and he was basically drilling in on the fact that I had begun at some way in an unintentional way or at a time I, I never even saw happening, associating my identity with how my ministry was doing and when that happens, if the ministry is going well, you feel great. If the ministry is being threatened, you feel anxious because you're being threatened. And he began to walk through um, a, a practical tool that I've used in my life over and over since then. It's called a truth journal. And that truth journal was basically going through, hey, um, it was an acronym for the word truth. And the T being the trigger, the R being the uh, response, the U being the unpleasant emotion, the T being the truth from God's word and the H being the helpful future response. And he began to say like, man, first you would put in, you're feeling anxiety. That's an unpleasant emotion. You start in the center. That's the you. And then you would go, Hey, what's the trigger? Maybe it's more. And I'm using again, an example of in this season where the government and restrictions and COVID regulation, et cetera, government mandates, no gatherings over 30 again for another 60 days. That would be the trigger. And then the reaction would be whatever was the action that took, man, I, I got stressed, I got anxious, I got upset with people around me, I, um, whatever was that response. And then the T would be the truth from God's word and taking the truth from God's word and applying, hey, 
what would God have to say about this? I can't address the triggers in my life always. I can't address God's word. What would the truth that God would say? Hey, even if the ministry doesn't come back, I'm still in control. That has nothing to do with whether or not you're a success or you're a failure. I still have plans. I will build my church and the gates of Hades or death will not prevent it. In other words, we know how this thing ends and it doesn't end with the church going away. And then the H would be the helpful future response. Whenever those emotions come, hey, I'm going to cling on to the truth from God's word, and I'm going to go back to, and I'm going to rehearse, and I'm going to remind myself of what is true, that if the ministry tanks never comes back or doesn't grow the way that I want it to, or God shrinks it all the way down, that is not a reflection of my value or whether I'm a failure, whether I'm a success. And so that was part of my own journey. But I think in ministry, there is the experience of tying in we can all find ourselves going, hey, I'm a success because of X, mm-hmm. the numbers that mm-hmm. are happening mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Or I'm a failure because of the, you know, I took a ministry that somebody else had led for a decade. Yeah. And I remember in that season, uh, the former leader of the porch named JP, who's been on here before, had moved and basically went to Waco. And I remember feeling anxiety over, am I going to be the guy <laughs> that the porch tanks underneath? Yeah. You know, yeah, like, that's right. The, that's right. Uh, it, and you don't know. And and God can do whatever he's going to do, and he does whatever he's going to do in spite of us. But those can be real feelings of like, oh, my man, I, I don't know if I have what it takes. And that can either push you to anxiety and control and stress or to dependence. And I think recognizing it, at least I've learned about myself, I have to learn to recognize those feelings and let them push me to dependence on the Lord. God, if that's what you want, I'm going to open my hands and seek to trust you. I sure don't want that to be the case where the ministry folds and falls apart. But if that's what your will is, I'm going to seek to be faithful in the midst of all of that rather than be anxious and be overwhelmed. So that'd be one example. That's really good. Yeah, I think everybody listening, you know, uh, has got some point of connection with that. And uh, and we just ride, you know, ride the ups, ride the downs. Yes. And, um, and it just levels out. And which, you know, like no one wants to be led by an anxious leader. Yes. Right. No one does. And so uh, I think it's, you know, really important for us to lead ourselves. If not, uh, you know, if we can't get there on our own, uh, you know, in our quiet time in the morning, which is always the best place to start, yes. uh, then you bring in community, and which I know you've done. You know, David, you've done a great job just bringing in uh, the guys in your life uh, yeah. on this. And uh, and then you can also just bring in uh, professionals. And uh, I yeah. know passionately you believe in that that kind of one, two, three uh, step. Yes. But leaders owe it to themselves and they owe it to uh, those they lead. And so if you're walking around now going, hey, I don't think it matters that I'm anxious. Well, it, it does. It's yeah. going to it's gonna show up. Do you have any stories? about that, like your anxiety affecting your leadership? Yeah, I think, um, you know, probably the most where I have to, um, trying to think of like the most helpful and specific one that kind of would relate. So we do a Christmas concert and, um, it was, we did, we've done it every year for years. I mean, it's massive. It sells out really fast. It's awesome. Shane and Shane, Phil welcome. It's really, really fun. And at the end of COVID, I was like, so we need to do mm-hmm. that concert. Yep. We need to do it outside. Yep. Government restrictions still made it to where um, we couldn't have over a thousand. We had to do social distancing and, and basically we had to have one third of the room occupied. And I was like, man, we're not doing that. We're going to go outside and wasn't considerate of the cost that would be to my team of the prep and the work that had already happened. I just basically put it into overdrive of, man, this is what we should do. And it created a lot of conflict yeah. and it wasn't thoughtful. It wasn't considerate. It wasn't be operating out of a, hey, is this what's best? It was more just, man, I think um, this would be amazing for our ministry. And if it comes at the cost of, you know, some fatigue and exhaustion, who cares? Which is not a servant-hearted leadership. But that, if I drilled back into that, it would be out of a reflection of, 
man, I want the ministry to continue to thrive. And so even if it costs other people that are going to get in the way, we're going to do that, which is not operating from a healthy place. I mean, that's a really random example. No, it's, but a gr- it, it's a great example, yeah. David, because you're tied up in that, right? Yes. It, because uh, it's not really ultimately about the ministry, although it is. It's about you. Yes. If the ministry is not thriving, then you're, you're losing something, you know, and um, yes. you're less than. And so yes. ultimately, which is, that's uh, all those moves. And we've all got those. That ultimately, if we slow down. Yeah. Um, that's what's going on there. Now we tend to think, uh, while we're surrounded by people who don't get my vision, that's the problem. And uh, the problem is you, you know, generally, um, our energy is coming from a really bad place and it's very different to say, Hey, this is God's ministry. We've got these restrictions. That's kind of a bummer. What do you guys think we should do? You know, I've got some ideas I've been praying and thinking, which is materially different than, you know, come on guys, what's your problem? And, uh, which we, which we've all, we've all done. We've all, we've all got stories like that. So, uh, really, really helpful. So you can walk people through that. Okay. Which I thought is, it's not just don't be quit being anxious. Yeah. Dummy. Um, you know, just, uh, memorize Philippians four, six and okay. What else did you want to talk about? Okay. So, okay, David, that's really, really helpful, really insightful. Um, let's talk about helping other people. So, uh, you're sitting across the table from somebody and, um, and they're going, man, I'm really anxious. So, uh, I think, you know, I've probably been guilty at some point of, you know, quoting Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and just, as you said, just stop it or try harder. Yeah. You know, I've, I've kind of taken that lane uh, before I'm growing. Um, I think I think your outline probably that you talked about for yourself would help with someone else. So, but let's talk through that. I mean, I, I come to you as a friend. Uh, boy, my kids, um, I've got a kid and they've got this issue and I'm really, really anxious. How, how would you walk me through? How would you think about as a, as a leader, as a good friend, a trusted friend? How would you think about just kind of walking with me through that? Yeah, I think... Um you know, the biggest thing I've learned from my wife as a counselor, so I'll go two directions and we can tie yeah. back to the Great. truth journal if we have time, is um, really something that Jesus did in Matthew chapter six, where he's having a conversation, Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about anxiety. He asks a question that everybody runs by that I think is such a profound question, where he says in Matthew six twenty five, do not be anxious. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Basically addressing the things they were worried about. To your friend or you sitting across the table, he would say, don't be anxious about your kid or where you're going to live mm-hmm. or college someday mm-hmm. or et cetera. And then he asks a question that isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Like, isn't life more than that? And the reason I think it's so profound is, you know, we know he's not asking because he doesn't know the answer. He's God. He, mm-hmm. he knows. He never asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to. He's asking in order to help his audience put into a bigger perspective and see more clearly the objects of their worry, because they would have known, yes, of course, life does not equal food. At the end of the day, that's not just the epitome of what life is about, having enough food to eat. But when you really think about it, he's doing what counselors today still do, where they help you chase down your fears and see them more clearly to put them into a bigger perspective. In other words, if somebody's anxious about their kid and they saw a counselor, they would ask them questions, and this is can happen with community too, of helping the person who feels anxious kind of climb out of the fog of their anxiety and see their anxious feelings or see what they're worried about a little bit more clearly. So I've used the example where if somebody's sitting across from me and they're anxious about um, whether I can afford to put my kids in college. That's a real fear for us in ministry. And uh, I, I might know somebody who's, you know, yeah. struggling. I mean, hypothetically. Yes. Yeah. 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 Same. I remember a friend of mine was telling a story where he had gone and seen a counselor and he was sharing that. He was thinking about leaving ministry, actually. And the counselor said, well, what if you can't afford to put your kids through college? And he said, well, I'd have to, they'd have to get a scholarship or I'd have to 
work their way through, or they may not even go to college by the time they get there. And he said, what if they have to get a scholarship or work their way through, or they don't go to college? And my friend said, I would feel like I was a bad dad, like I had failed in providing the way a good dad would. And the counselor said something I thought was so profound. He said, is that the definition of a good dad hmm. pays for college? Which is kind of what Jesus is saying. It's like, is that what life is, food? You know, and uh, is that what a good dad would do? They pay. Could it be possible to be a good dad and not pay for college? And of course, you know, my friend is sitting there going, yeah, of course that's possible. Could it be possible to be a bad dad and pay for college? And of course, well, we know tons of people that fall into that category. Mm -hmm. And then he asks a question, on the list of top 10 things that make a good dad, which one would pay for college be? Which is just such a profound, because, you know, if you're honest and you stop to think about it, you'd go, I don't even know that it's on that list. Hmm. And that fear of being a good dad someday, which is based on a lie that all good dads pay for college, will keep you from being a good dad today, being present, being intentional, caring for your kids. And so I think if somebody's sitting across from me, there's a, an equation really good. that um, has been really, really helpful in my own life. And it's, it's, it goes like this. Anxiety plagues off of this question. It's two words. And almost all anxiety plagues off of the question, what if? What if blank? What if blank? What if, you know, my dad passes away? What if I lose mm -hmm. a child to cancer? What if my house um, mortgage I can't afford because of property tax? What if, what if, what if? And we rarely stop to answer the what if. And because of that, it just has this vague feeling of what if, what if, and we never are willing to sit it down and stare it in the face and answer what if. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a power that is released or the power of anxiety, can, part of it gets released when you answer the question to use my own life and my own example. You know, we have two kids, we've got one on the way. And if I find myself going, what if my wife gets breast cancer mm -hmm. and doesn't make it? I can either live in that vague feeling of fear and honestly try to uh, not think about it or deny it or, um, man, I'm just going to um, never, hopefully that'll never happen. Or I can look it in the eyes and say, what if she dies of breast cancer and answer the question and then come after that with, but God would. And so I would go, what if my wife died of breast cancer and I had to raise our kids by herself? Then I would walk through probably the hardest time in my life and grieve deeper than I'll maybe ever grieve or could even understand or imagine. But God would be with me, would sustain me, has promised that he is near to the brokenhearted, has promised that he will never leave nor forsake me, has told me that this life, as hard as it is for me to understand, is a vapor, and I'm going to be with him for all of eternity. And he, when I'm weak, is strong, and he would get me through it. And that doesn't make the problem go away. It doesn't mean she's not going to get cancer. It just deflates some of that anxiety by staring it in the face and saying, man, what if it happens? Then I would, but God would. And that's really the same thing as, as the truth journal, because you're just yep. going through, hey, these are the triggers that cause that anxiety. I had that thought. Here's either the reaction and um, some of the beliefs that are informing it. And then here's the truth from God's word. And here's how in the future I can hold on to and rehearse and remember those things. And so I think that applies to big fears, small fears, big anxieties, small anxieties. What if? And then I answer the question. And then I remember what God has said in scripture. That's really good, David. I, um, yeah, you and I have not compared notes, but that's been really helpful for, for me, hmm. uh, leading myself as I kind of think through what's the worst thing that can happen. Yes. And I'll kind of play that out. 
and it, it never ends, um, or it rarely ends with those around me dying, right? You yeah. know, I don't, because I, I, I choose left over right, um, you know, and I'm stuck on that decision or I'm, I'm, I'm fearful that I might not do a good job on X. Like th- it never ends with somebody close yeah. to me dying, uh, generally. And it never ends with, uh, God not being on his throne or being with me. Like the Lord That's was right. with Joseph. The Lord is going to be with me. So, so then I can kind of back up and go, okay, you know what? Like we're not, this isn't life and death. And there's nothing that's, that's going to happen here, left or right, or not performing to the level that's going to separate me from the love of God. Yeah. We know that. I mean, like in our bones. And uh, okay, great. So I don't. I really don't need to be as anxious as I'm being right now. Yeah. And that's been incredibly helpful yeah. uh, for me. And I've just watched kind of the uh, the anxiety levels on others as you kind of walk them through that. You know. Yeah. And what? Okay. So let's say that happened. And then what would happen? Okay. What if it was even worse than that? Sometimes you know they'll play. They'll play it through. And nobody dies generally. Yeah. Um, sometimes it, you know, you, in your example, it does. But um, I mean, there's going to be the the future grace of God that's going to be there, yeah. and uh, and the people of God, and you're gonna you're gonna probably make it, you know. Okay, yeah. and uh, and that that really is. There's something about that that idea that you know the bear in the cave just keeps getting bigger unless you go in there. Yes. And um, and so you just go in there and go, ah, oh, you're not as big as I thought you were. Yeah. And uh, it's not it's not as scary. So that's really good. I think also. Um, just being curious. This is this is some of the growth in my own uh, life. And actually, it was uh, interesting. We were at dinner. Pam and I were at dinner with a couple last night, and Gal was really, really uh, just honest about some of her anxiety struggles. Should have had a copy of your book. I would have given it to you. Come on, <laughs> I can send it later. But um, and so, in another day, I might have just jumped to here's what you need to be thinking. Here's what you need to yeah. be doing. Those kind of things. And I'm, I've been learning that uh, just staying curious with people. Just going, hey, tell me about that. You yes. know, what is uh, where do, where does that do you, do you have any idea like when that happens? You're kind of, that's your trigger. Yeah. Uh, what is it? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And how do you think about that? You yeah. know, and have you found anything that's, that's helpful to kind of deal with that rather than just me coming and launching with, uh, you know, with all the questions. Sometimes you only have a brief moment and people want a kind of a leadership or pastoral response. You have to do that. But a lot of times I've found if you'll just be curious with people, or I'm finding better said, I'm finding if you'll just be curious with people and just kind of, you know, ask and jump in there uh, with them, they will get insights to them to their own uh, issues and that sometimes those insights mean more because they came from them than, yeah. than me throwing, you know, pithy phrases and Bible verses at them. So, so right. um, I think uh, there's a lot of what you said, but that, there's some of my own, uh, my own learning in that. So, That's good, man. um, final thought, I, this has been great. This is, we had, we have no notes in front of us. I know. We just started talking Come on. and, uh, we started with white pants and, uh, <laughs> and we ended in a, in a good, yeah, in a good place. Back, so, man. uh, anything else that, uh, that you want to say before we go? No, I think, you know, John, I do think you do a good job of playing that worst case scenario out, but for whatever reason, I have found that, um, that is not something people do naturally, hmm. especially young people. Yeah. And I do think what you just brought up were two really, really important things. Listening, asking good questions, you know, whether your kids are struggling with anxiety or some of your staff is kind of meeting them where they are and help me understand that. Cause I'm the same as you, you know, there's, uh, my temptation is to just, Hey, just hold on to this verse and you know, you'll be fine versus sitting down and going, Oh, so what do you feel when, that happens or where's your head, mind, your thoughts go when someone's talking about their anxiety and having to learn to really care for people to ask good questions is so huge. And then planning it out and helping them in an appropriate way, like what would happen and and, um, not worst case scenario just for the sake of doing that, but just helping them kind of connect the dots and asking how they would feel if that happened. I think you do that in isolation really well. And I think that is learned 
And so anybody listening, I think one of the ways you can care for your team is coming along them in the midst of their anxiety, asking good questions and meeting them where they are. Yeah. And I think, I think this posture of a leader, it's going to work out. Like mm-hmm. it's gonna work out. And every, if, you know, again, if you just lead your family, they're all looking to you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you don't have this belief that it's going to work out, it doesn't mean you have all the answers mm-hmm. that, that, um, that you, if you believe it works out, they, like that gives them comfort, even if you don't have the answers. Yes. And so in your team, just remember that you've got a responsibility to project calm and not anxiety and things, you know, things like that. And, yeah. and you can always do that because God's in control, even if you don't have the answers. Sure. I'm not really sure. But you know one thing I do know, it's God's in control uh, here, and nothing passed through his hands unless um, he was okay with it. And um, and somehow he's going to work this out. Just read the Bible cover to cover. And uh, I'm not sure, but that's I've, I've got full confidence uh, in God, and I've seen things like this before, and they, they tend to work out. And so here's what we're going to do for our, our next step. We don't have it all figured out. We've talked about that here uh, before, good. but really, really good, brother. Thank you very much. Uh, you can find David's book basically anywhere that uh, books are sold. Uh Getting marketing ideas? Okay. Yeah. I If anybody is listening to this, if you will go on iTunes and rate and review, five stars always best, but review whatever you want to. <laughs> and if you send me a screenshot of your review on iTunes of the Church Leaders Podcast, I will send someone a free copy of We're All Freaking Out. And if you don't want it, you can give it to your staff. But send that on Instagram. You can email me at the porch at watermark.live if you don't have that. And uh, like you said, you can find... That book for anybody else, wherever books are sold. And uh, man, such an honor to be on here and what God is doing through everybody listening. It's just really fun. That's good. Well, we don't, we don't, we don't plug books. I mean, if anybody's listened to all of our episodes, we just don't push materials. But I will tell you this. Um, uh, I, could, I could say something about your book, David, but um, here's one close to home. And I, I've told you this, but uh, our 16-year-old daughter is an avid reader. She's wicked smart. And uh, I gave her that book, or you gave her that book, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I bet you didn't think she was going to read it. No. Well, you know, I guess. She read it in two sittings, and uh, and we went on a walk, and I just asked her about it. And uh, A, she loved it, and if she didn't love it, she would have told me. Yeah. <laughs> she would have been, uh, been brutally honest, and she goes, that was, it was, I think her line was, that is so much better than I thought it was going to be. I mean, like, <laughs> Take it as a compliment. Don't negatively interpret that. I love uh, it. And then she just talked through some of the things that she was learning. And mm. uh, and she's a really, really wise soul. And uh, and I thought, man, that like that book has resonated with her. So again, we don't push stuff, but uh, David, uh, congrats on the book. Thanks. And uh, and uh, I'm excited about the topic because I think people are really struggling. And leaders who get a grasp for their own uh, lives around this topic of anxiety can lead well, and then they can definitely help other people uh, that they lead. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, guys, thanks for listening today. We'll be back soon. If you've got any questions or comments for us, you can always reach us at clp at watermark.org, clp at watermark.org. We will talk to you again next time.